Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the special deep freeze edition of Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. And what can you say except it's been cold across a good portion of the U.S. cotton belt since our last visit. And as we speak, the thaw is now underway, uh, although there are still some serious problems remaining in some areas. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Arctic blast and its impact on some of our cotton geographies uh, and, and a few more things in this, the 90th edition of the Cotton Companion. I'm Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower, and as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower Editor Frank Giles. Frank, I'm going to tell you, it's amazing how fast nine inches of snow in the Memphis area can disappear when the temperature hits 60. We've gone from frozen to slushy to just sloppy right here. Uh, I know you've got to escape a lot of this, but uh, what did you hear from some of your friends in, in parts of the southeast? Yeah, we, we like to joke that Florida Florida decided not to participate in winter uh, the last couple of weeks. So we've actually enjoyed some pretty nice weather here. I did see a meme going around. It was a, a tape measure, and it was, a, it was measuring a foot of sunlight in Florida on a shadow. So I was sending that, sending that around to make some of my frozen friends jealous. But I, I have seen some comments from my cotton grower buddies up in Georgia, and they're getting a little bit of nervous about the amount of moisture they're having up there, uh, you know, as field work closes in. So they need it, need it to dry out, uh, dry out some up there. And I'm sure that's true in other areas too. Yeah, well, it's going to take a while for the Mid-South to dry out, you know, give us, give us a couple of weeks at least. Uh, but as I mentioned, you know, today we're going to talk about Texas, uh, not only because of the issues folks have been facing out there because of the cold weather, but also to talk a little bit about the upcoming planting season uh, with a special emphasis on West Texas. To help us out, our good friend Steve Verrett, who is Chief Executive Officer of Plains Cotton Growers in Lubbock, is gonna be joining us in our virtual studio in just a few minutes, and we hope you'll stay tuned for that discussion. But before moving on, let's take a moment for a short message from our sponsor, Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. Thanks as always to the folks at Phytogen for sponsoring the Cotton Companion. And now as usual, here's our colleague Robin Sittberg for part two of her custom content discussion with Dr. Russell Nudy, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist covering parts of Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. Hello, I'm Robin Sipper, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. I'm talking again today with Dr. Russell Nudy, Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist covering parts of Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. Welcome back to the program, Russell. Thanks, Robin. I'm glad to be back. Well, I know the last time you were on, we talked about planning for the 2021 season and some of the bigger picture factors to consider with variety selection. But now I'd like to ask you about which specific phytogen varieties are performing well in your area. Yes, I'm excited to go through this list. But the first thing I'll talk about is the trait package. The W3FE is wide strike three with the Enlist herbicide system. The first variety, Robin, is phytogen 400. That's not just fit for the Southeast. That's a national variety that uh, actually was the number three planted variety in 2020 across the U.S. We look forward to planting more phytogen 400 in 2021. I like it because it is a very easy to manage variety. It's very consistent. It fits both the irrigated and dry land acre, and it's done very well for us. The next variety that I want to talk about is phytogen 545 W3FE. 
We brought 545 to the market because of its very high yield potential on the highest end irrigated acres for South Georgia. We're excited to have that as an opportunity. Another major variety for us is Phytogen 580 W3FE. This is a true full season variety that allows us to go into a relatively sandy area and expect it to come back after going in and out of drought stress. 580 has shown us high yield potential in uh, the more southern geographies. Another variety that I'll mention is Phytogen 500 W3FE. This is another mid to full season variety. It's going to grow more like some of the competitive varieties. It's an aggressive growing variety with a smooth leaf and it fits both irrigated and dryland acres with that enlist trait package. Something else that I'll mention across the US, which is new for 2021, will be phytogen 443 W3FE and phytogen 332 W3FE. The variety that we'll plant more of in the lower Southeast would be the 443. And this features not only root knot nematode resistance, but also features the new reniform nematode resistance from phytogen. Well, you've given us a lot to think about and a lot of choices. Uh, how can growers get more information for their specific uh, situations? If you're interested in more information from phytogen, you can contact your local cotton development specialist or sales agronomist, and you can always go to phytogen.com. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the program and for the information. Thank you, Robin. Well, thanks as always to Robin and to uh, Russell for that segment. <clears throat> Frank, I don't think we can go on without a, a quick mention on cotton prices because it seems to be a recurring theme as we've, uh, we've hit uh, 2021. In our last podcast, we mentioned prices were pushing the 90 cent range. And within the past week, for sure, prices crossed that mark for both the May and July futures. And last week, our friend O.A. Cleveland noted that, that cotton prices have settled higher in at least one contract month for the past 11 days, and is now saying that prices may be on track to move to the dollar level and beyond, and that's certainly causing him to wave a red flag. Uh, he says right now that's just too high, uh, it could harm cotton demand just as demand is starting to build again. I think we've all seen what happens when, when cotton does cross that dollar mark. Uh, and, and you can just sort of, you can, you can see the guys in, with, the, with the polyester products and, and the mills just, uh, you know, just waiting at this point. Yeah, absolutely. That, you know, I, d I did see some conversations online about that, uh, that article that OA wrote and, and I saw one grower saying that 85, 80, 88 cent range is probably the sweet spot, or at least in his opinion, the sweet spot. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out and hopefully it'll settle into a place that's a, a good spot for growers, but not not so much that it runs demand away. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, we, we both admit we are not marketing experts. Uh, we do know several of them, and, uh, and we're certainly going to be paying close attention to what they say here over the next uh, few weeks and, and months. But meanwhile, we've got a few more cotton acreage projections that have been issued for 2021. So uh, what, what do these projections say, Frank? Well, the National Cotton Council came with its 40th annual early season planting intention survey, and they projected 11.5 million cotton acres this spring. That's down 5.2% 5, 5 from 2020, 
That includes 11.3 million acres of upland cotton and 161,000 acres of ELS cotton. That was announced during their virtual annual meeting earlier this month. The NCC used a projected abandonment of 18.1% for the U.S. bringing harvested cotton area to 9.4 million acres and total produ projected production of 16.7 million bales. A week later, it was the USDA's turn during the cotton session of its annual Ag agricultural outlook forum on February 19th, USDA upped the acreage ante by projecting 12 million U.S. cotton acres, just slightly less than the 1% uh, below 2020's acres. The USDA number is 4% higher than the uh, National Cotton Council's projection and 3.3% higher than our own cotton grower annual acreage survey, and we were at 11.6 million acres. Factors in Impacting acreage include strong prices for cotton, corn, soybeans, and other crops. Other factors include soil moisture conditions heading into the upcoming season, you know, from uh, too dry to too wet. And I think Steve will touch on some of that as we, we have that conversation here in a little bit. Um, yes, I'm, I'm sure he will. The USDA analysis noted that the estimated 12 million acres should result in harvested acreage of 10 million acres roughly 15% above 2020, factoring in anticipated abandonment of 16.7%. Anticipated national average yield of 840 pounds per acre with the entire crop projected at 17.5 million bales. That's 17% above the 2020 production. And speaking of the National Cotton Council, its leadership team for 2021 will look awfully familiar as pretty much all the leadership positions rolled over from 2020. Kent Fountain from Georgia was reelected as NCC chairman for 2021 and Ted Snyder from Louisiana was reelected vice chairman for 2021. And, and hopefully those guys will get to enjoy a more normal experience in their respective roles uh, as hopefully this COVID situation allows them to get out and truly experience that uh, once in a lifetime experience. That's true. And the full list of officers and board members can be found um, on cottongrower.com. And we also want to add a few congratulations here to David Blakemore and Jerry Scarborough, who were honored by the National Cotton Jenners Association during the organization's 2021 virtual annual meeting. Blackmore is the 2020 Horace Hayden National Cotton Jenner of the Year, and Scarborough received the NCGA's 2021 Charles C. Owen Distinguished Service Award. So congratulations to those two gentlemen. Absolutely. I, I talked with some of the folks at the NCC, and, and because they had to do a virtual meeting this year, uh, some of their traditional awards just were not presented. There was just no... Uh, you know, the, the Oscar Johnson Award and, and some of the other more prestigious service awards, uh, they decided to take a year off on that because you want to have, uh, you want to you treat the, the recipients of those, those uh, awards correctly and make sure you can have family and, and everybody there. And it's much better than an in-person event. So something to look forward to, hopefully, as we move back into, uh, into 2022. Very good. And now, as promised, let's turn our attention to Texas, which has certainly been the focus of, of national news over the past week. 
but there's certainly a lot more than cold weather to talk about as planting season is approaching. I'd like to welcome Steve Verrett. He's Chief Executive Officer of Plains Cotton Grower to the uh, virtual Cotton Companion Studio. Steve, thanks for joining us. I hope you're staying warm and comfortable by now. Well, it's certainly better than it was this time last week, Jim. Uh, and, and Frank, good to be with both of y'all today. I look forward to us visiting a little bit. Uh, yeah, the weather's been uh, uh, certainly a bit uh, out of the ordinary, uh, but for the most part, folks in the Lubbock area and the High Plains of Texas escaped a lot of the real bad uh, ice part of the weather. Uh, it got very cold here. Uh, we had some moisture, but it was mainly snow. And even that snow was not all that wet. It was pretty dry. Uh, so we didn't have a lot of buildup on the trees, on the power lines or anything like that. So we escaped a lot of problems with power outages. Now that didn't make, if you had cows to tend to, any livestock to tend to, whether you're a dairy guy or mama cow guy, it didn't make it any fun out busting water and making sure, you know, those animals were taken care of. But just from a, uh, a standpoint of, you know, humans being put in danger or having any problem, we really escaped that. Not so much south of us, however, you know, you get down into the rolling, even the rolling plains of Texas and into South Texas, it was, it was pretty ugly where they lost as much electricity as they did. A lot of folks out of power for days at a time. And it's caused a lot of uh, uh, water pipe issues and, uh, and just uh, just getting around. I heard one of my good friends talk about couldn't buy any diesel, couldn't buy any gasoline. So it, it was pretty tough. So all of Texas is warmed back up. And so hopefully everybody's gonna be able to kind of get their stuff uh, gathered up and, and kind of figure if they've got any problems, get out, get around, get it taken care of, and then we'll be back to hopefully a little more normal weather, whatever that is anymore. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, we're, we're kind of, we, we had about eight to 10 inches of snow over here in the Memphis area. And uh, that was on top of some ice from a, from a little ice storm. I mean, little, it, it, it looked pretty hanging on the trees, but it wasn't like the old, the ice storm of the infamous ice storm of 1994, which which knocked power out for about uh, three weeks for a lot of people over in this area. But, you know, it's amazing what a 60 degree day will do to make, uh, you know, about nine inches of snow disappear pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, enough of the weather. Uh, let's talk about, uh, about what's going to happen out in West Texas this year, how things are going. Uh, I think it's safe to say last year just was not a great year for West Texas cotton. Uh, you had you pretty much you had extreme drought out there. And I looked at the drought monitor over the weekend uh, after all of the weather that's that's been going on. And of course, you're still sitting there in mostly a moderate to extreme drought conditions, uh, even after some of the snow and, and some of the rain and things that uh, that have, have already rolled through. How are growers feeling going into this season? Are they, are they optimistic about, uh, about having enough moisture to work with and, and get things up and moving? Well, I think folks are still uh, really concerned about where we are in that regard. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the fact that we've had a little bit of moisture, a little bit of snow, and, and, and really uh, there are some areas, especially when you go south of Lubbock in our Southern area, I'm not talking about all the way to South Texas, just say from uh, Tahoka South, where that they have gotten a little more moisture 
And I've heard folks talking about, you know, where they needed to do some, some field work, get some stuff tied together where they were having some blowing issues. They were able to do that. The moisture was good enough that they could do that. But just like you said, looking at the drought map, we know we're still uh, lacking for uh, subsoil moisture in a big part of our, our area here. So uh, I think people are still certainly nervous about that. But, you know, uh, hope reigns eternal uh, as a farmer. And so, you know, we are beginning to see on some of the long-term weather forecasts of at least moving into a neutral phase on this uh, La Nina a situation we've been in. So, you know, we don't typically get a lot of moisture in January, February, and even in March. So certainly if we don't see some things changing from a, from a moisture situation by the end of March to the middle of April, then we're certainly gonna become more concerned about that. But on the bright side, you know, prices are such that it, I think it's keeping people kind of their enthusiasm up a little bit in spite of what's going on with the drought. Good deal, Steve. What about the crop mix in your area? I know, you know, are you expecting any significant changes from cotton? Because prices are good for quite a few of the commodities right now. Yeah, it's, there's hardly a crop that uh, you could go after to plant that you couldn't hopefully make a little money if you make a crop. And that's kind of where we are, you know, related to this drought deal. We, we expect to see some change in crop mix, especially in our northern panhandle area, uh, where they still have uh, some options. Plus, there's some pretty lucrative uh, insulage contracts for those guys that are close to the dairies uh, in our northern panhandle from Plainview, really from Plainview North uh, is what I'm talking about. So uh, we'll see some acreage shift more than likely. But I think, you know, with cotton prices where they are, there's not gonna be this just total runaway from cotton, even in those areas. Uh, you know, farmers do, real, do remember their most recent experience. And certainly a lot of those Northern Panhandle guys, the crop was not as good as what they had hoped and the quality was really bad on some of it. And so that's kind of the taste that's been left in their mouth. So we'll see some people move away. We may even see some folks, you know, in the dryland areas, look at maybe sorghum with the increased price on sorghum, the good basis on sorghum. But overall, we don't, we don't see a, a wholesale change. We think, you know, we've been planting a little more than 4 million acres of cotton on the high plains of Texas the last couple of years. We may be a little bit below 4 million, but we'll still be, you know, 3.6, 3.7 million acres for sure, maybe even a little bit higher than that. So we're just, you know, from a grower perspective, we're just tickled to death that prices have moved up and that, that producers are gonna have an option. You know, uh, our farmers, most of them grow other crops. Uh, that's not all of them, most, a lot of them just grow cotton, but, uh, a lot of them grow peanuts, a lot of them grow some sorghum. Uh, so it's just good that they have some other options. Uh, but most of the time, uh, cotton and from an insurance perspective is one of the underlying things that keeps people in cotton because that's where their best risk management is. They may not have much of a, of a APH or sorghum or something like that mm -hmm. that they can move to. Yeah. Now we've, we've noticed here in the last, within the last two weeks, some more acreage surveys coming out. You know, National Cotton Council came out uh, two weeks ago with, with their acreage survey. It said 
11.5 million acres. Last Friday, USDA did their early projection during their, uh, their agricultural outlook forum, and they said 12 million acres. And of course, we came out in January at, at 11.6. So uh, which number do you like best at this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just, you know, got to think we're going to be less acres than what we were last year. I mean, because there are so, you know, when you go to, and I'm no expert on Mid-South uh, agriculture, but I've been around long enough to watch those guys and see, you know, uh, th what that they can do. And, you know, certainly beans are an option for those guys. Corn is an option for those guys. And, and let's just face it, you know, cotton is not an easy crop to grow. And so, you know, if you've got the opportunity to change up that mix and and move into one of these other crops, mainly corn or soybeans, you're gonna do that on some of the acres. So I, I just gotta believe we're gonna be, we'll be less of what we were last year, whether it'll be the lowest number or not remains to be seen. Uh, and, and a big part of that will be driven by Texas and what happens to Texas overall. But, you know, we've already talked about that a little bit. I don't, I don't see a lot of change there, but there could be, could be yeah, some. I guess we'll just have to wait till the, uh, till the end of of June when to see that that whole planting report from USDA. Uh, changing topics just a little bit. I know that that you and, and Plains Cotton Growers stay very active and involved in cotton policy, uh, certainly as it pertains to your area. Uh, we've had a change in administration. We've had some changes in the Senate and the House Ag Committees, uh, along with a, a familiar face uh, coming back in as Secretary of Agriculture. Uh, how much are some of these changes going to impact programs and, and growers in your area? Well, it remains to be seen, Jim, but uh, you mentioned Secretary Vilsack. You know, we have a track record. He has a track record. We have a track record of working with him. And, you know, really in some pretty upsetting times for the cotton industry, you know, is that a time when the cotton industry was out of Title I? Uh, we worked at trying to do some things to get cotton back in Title I. And Secretary Vilsack, while he didn't, you know, go along with our idea to make cotton seed a, another oil seed, um, he did come up with the GM cost share assistance program uh, through CCC. And that's really kind of what started, if you think about this, that's what kind of started us down this path of opening up the CCC to do other things. And then, you know, under the Trump administration, I mean, uh, the sky was the limit on what they wanted to do with CCC, you know, with, with MFP and CFAP and everything that they used it for. So from that standpoint, you know, we, uh, Vilsack is known, and, and I've said this for a long time, we, we, had a, uh, we had a great relationship with the USDA during those eight years. Now we need to understand, however, that you know this is this is eight years later, or this is four years later. Excuse me, it's twelve years later than when Bill Sack went into office. You know, I saw a deal the other day. I think it, it talked about how old Tom Bill Sack was when he went into office and how old he is now. And I'm thinking, you know, that same thing applies to me. You know, so uh, but um, time gets away. But it's twelve years since he was in office to begin with. Uh, took the position. Uh, this administration definitely has some ideas about some things they want to look at and what they want to do. And, you know, uh, practically every time you, you hear a statement from them or you pick up anything, 
they're talking about climate change and they're talking about ways that agriculture could be involved in mitigating uh, those uh, issues, perceived or otherwise. And I'm not, you know, arguing which way it is, but that that's that's just where we are. So uh, it's gonna. That's why I say it. It's still yet to be determined. Uh, even though we have that that known thing with Vilsack, there's there's a different set of marching orders this time, and you can see that. You know, I'm telling you, this administration is getting up and running, in 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 a hurry. Uh, you know, a lot of the people being named in USDA even before Vilsack will be confirmed later this week, but a lot of those folks come with uh, uh, more uh, climate credentials. That's kind of been their their focus and, and what they've been working on for a number of years. So it's just evident that there's going to be more emphasis placed on that. Can we can we benefit from that? Can we work with that? We're going to do everything we can to, you know, we believe that farmers are, are uh, have the ability and can be a big part of the solution to these issues, whether it's carbon sequestration, whatever it may be. But I kind of want to take the John Bozeman uh, uh, approach to this, that we just know whatever we do, we need to make sure that farmers are the one to benefit, not a bunch of aggregators or pe other people outside of agriculture uh, that benefit from what agriculture is doing to try to mitigate some of these issues. So uh, uh, we, we, we look forward, we're gonna, we're gonna be in there as, we're ready for some of this to get back to a little more normal, get back uh, to seeing some of these folks in, in person and maintaining those relationships. So we just look forward to doing that. But that's kind of where we're at on it right now. Well, you know, speaking of getting back to normal, I think the, uh, the last time, Steve, you and I sat down uh, to do an interview for this podcast, we were sitting in your office, I think, uh, there in, in the new PCG office, even before it was actually completed, I think there was still some work going on at that point. Uh, there was, you had minimal furniture. And as I recall, there was, you know, some, some pretty good echo there in, in your office while we were, we were talking. Uh, I'm sure, particularly with COVID kind of getting in the way at this point, uh, have you guys had a chance to settle in and, and kind of take full advantage of this new facility? And, uh, you know, I know you've done some things made some concessions and some changes due to COVID, but uh, are you are you up and running the way you feel like you need to be up and running right now? Well, we're, we're very glad to be in this facility. We moved in, in in September, and as you said, for the first two or three months, it was kind of, we were just getting settled in. We were settled in good by the time all this hit, about this time last year, when it was, you know, when it first started kind of coming around. So thankfully, you know, uh, we were here in an office, uh, you know, we never really closed it. I think we took a week where we closed the door and basically said, you know, uh, we're not taking any visitors into here, but uh, we've been pretty much business as usual. We've got plenty of space here. It's not like we're on top of each other. So thankfully, that was one of the good things about being in this new facility. As you know, uh, Jim, it, it changed things. As you mentioned, you know, we we had these Friday morning meetings that we have during the growing season every two weeks, and then during the this time of year once a month. And we were so 
pleased and proud of our new uh, conference room that we have where we could get everybody in at one time because in our old facility, it was standing room only a lot of times. And so we had a, a couple of those in October and, and December. And then in January, I think was the last one we had in person, maybe February, I can't remember. But then we basically closed down and we've been doing them online ever since then. Now, we've kind of opened back up. We're doing hybrid now. Folks that want to come in can. But, you know, we're going to continue on the distance part of it because it's allowed folks like you, Jim, to, to join in our meeting. And uh, so, you know, that's one of the things I see in all this. Uh, we're not going to go. Thankfully, we need to learn from some of these things and take the good part. But I've said this, and our business, not unlike a lot of others, is a relational business. And the way you build relationships is to see people in person, talk to them over a drink or over dinner or something. That's how you build relationships. You don't do it like we're doing this today. Uh, we can maintain these relationships doing this, but it's hard to build new ones and to, to build on those relationships. But we'll continue to use some of this technology going forward to, to help make us better, I hope so. Yeah, I, I think the, that's the, going to be the one takeaway from all of this is that we're going we're, we're gonna to look at the technology that has made us a little bit more efficient and, and hang on to that. Uh, but also, you know, keeping your fingers crossed and, and looking forward to the day when you can get back out and, you know, lean on a, a pickup truck fender and chat with somebody for, yeah. you know, for a while. Uh, Absolutely. Know, we, yeah, Frank and I miss that too. We, Absolutely. Uh, Actually, I'm getting, I'm getting to travel tomorrow to a farm uh, here in Florida. So I'm, <clears throat> that's one of the first forays out. Uh, so I'm excited to get out, get outside and take some pictures and visit with a grower. That's good. So anyway, well, Steve, I tell you what, we're going to uh, we're going to call time on this discussion for today. Uh, as always, we appreciate your time and, and your input. And uh, again, uh, we hope to visit with you again soon, hopefully in person. Yeah, that'd be great, Jim. One the last thing I would mention is that, you know, we are going forward with our annual meeting in April. That's right. Uh, mm -hmm. The, the Texas Cop Generous of Trade Show will not be held because basically the Civic Center is being used for a vaccination uh, center for Lubbock County. So they've canceled the trade show, but they're going to have their annual meeting. And so are we. We're going to be in the Overton Hotel and the conference center there. And so we're going forward. We're hopeful that, you know, by the time we get to the first of April, things are going to be a lot better off. Our hospitalization rates here have just crashed. I mean, we're doing much better. A lot of people getting vaccinated. So uh, we're looking forward to it. So maybe it'll be where you can come to Lubbock for our annual meeting. It might, maybe it'll work out where you can. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can work out on that. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at company policies right now and I'm going, I'm not, I, so, I'm not so sure about that one, but you know, Hey, if you have a zoom element to it, I'll be there. I, I understand, you know, our company is uh, me and a couple other people make the decisions. And so I understand it's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to climb on airplanes to get uh, to get to your annual meeting. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thank you. Appreciate it so much. You bet. Best of luck to y'all. Good to see y'all. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Steve. And that's it for the 90th episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. Jim, we're closing in on a hundred. I know. I know. I can feel it. In, I can feel it in my joints right now. I can feel it. You know, my, <laughs> You know, everything's starting to ache a little bit. There you go. As always, thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. 
If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about this podcast. And here's how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-news, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. The March issue of Cotton Grower Magazine is on press right now, so be watching for it here within the next few weeks. This podcast is produced by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues back at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman. His name's Frank Giles. And we'll be back with you again in two weeks with another episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, happy planning and stay safe and warm. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com. Whoa.